This is the tenth voice. Kansas City's LGBTQ plus radio magazine. The tenth voice, because we refuse to be silent. KKFI listeners, and welcome to Trans Talk, this week's edition of the 10th Voice. This is Una here, who's already been here for a couple hours, uh, subbing on Siren Song, and I've uh, got uh, Fiona sitting across the table from me today. Hello, Fiona. Hello, Una. It's been a while since we've been in the studio all together, hasn't it? I know. It's awesome to actually be physically together and present here. And then, of course, we have the ever-faithful Rachel Katie behind the soundboard today, running everything, keeping it going, uh, wiping my tears off of the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up uh, very late this morning and at about 10, 10 a.m., remembered that, oh yes, I'm subbing for uh, Siren Song at 11, and I have no show prepared, so I sprinted out of the house, Fiona prepared mugs of tea for me, and composed a show in my head on the way to the station, because that's just how we work. We are <laughs> skilled professionals. We can improv. We can we can do anything. Well, you can when you're provided with caffeine and a support crew. <laughs> that, that's true, yes. So we're like Indy 500 of radio. <laughs> so we're going to start out with the uh, Transgender News of the Month, Sister Nightshade. Yeah, yeah she's walking in right now. And uh, then we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about some specific topics for the transgender and intersex communities. Uh, A couple of them were prompted with some long conversations I had uh, last night at a local uh, club with some people I hadn't seen in a while that really made me think. I think it will be applicable to everyone in the trans community. But let's go on. Oh, here's Nightshade. So let's go on to the... Oh, stop pushing me. Uh, To the... uh, Transgender News of the Month. So let's start out with a little bit of the good news. Well, good news in that it's not horrible news in some cases, but let's just go with that. In the never-ending battle over whether Iowa is required to provide Medicaid coverage for gender-affirming surgery, a judge has ruled that they must indeed supply coverage. This marks the second time that this case has had to go to court. In 2019, the Iowa Supreme Court ruled that a state Medicaid rule preventing coverage was unlawful. But the Iowa legislature, praise be, then passed a law denying coverage to transgender individuals, so the ACLU went back to court to fight yet again for transgender rights. Uh, Conservatives in the Iowa legislature have vowed to fight all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and why not, since it's not their money, right? Danica Reem has won re-election to the Virginia House of Delegates, and she'll remain the longest-serving, out-and-proud transgender elected official in the U.S. Originally elected to represent District 13 in 2017, she has been re-elected twice, most recently defeating Christopher Stone, an anti-LGBT Republican political newcomer. 
This month, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear an appeal from a California Catholic hospital being sued over denial of care to a transgender man. Evan Minton can now go forward with his case against the hospital, brought when the hospital canceled his scheduled hysterectomy, calling it an elective sterilization that went against their Catholic beliefs. In a reaction to moves across the United States and worldwide to disenfranchise trans athletes, the International Olympic Committee has released new regulations for transgender and intersex athletes that appears to be highly supportive of inclusion and equality. Among other things, it has dropped a blanket limit on testosterone levels across the board and allowing individual sports to determine the testosterone level required for eligibility, although that could go the other direction. Uh, the IOC is also urging bodies to avoid pressuring athletes to undergo medically unnecessary procedures or treatment to meet eligibility. In other positive sports news, Nike has introduced the company's latest addition to its Play New campaign with soccer player Mara Gomez, who is the first transgender woman to play in Argentina's professional league. Gomez began playing for the country's women's league in December 2020. In a quote from the athlete herself, Gomez says, quote, Today, I'm the first professional transgender player in Argentina, and it was not easy because I didn't have a role model to follow. So it's my turn to open the door for the athletes to come, unquote. And whoops, we're under the bad news already. Wow, that went fast. Just kind of like your life. Whoosh, what was that? That was your life, Nightshade. Oh, that was fast. Can I have another? Sorry. Oh, well. Uh, transgender woman Christina Frost has filed a lawsuit against the San Diego County and its sheriff's office after she says she was placed in a cell with men after being arrested. Despite showing them a driver's license that had her correct gender identity, she was forced into a cell with three men and one of those men physically assaulted her, fracturing her jaw before deputies stopped him. Worst of all, the police allegedly refused to take her to the hospital for 12 hours after the assault, holding her prisoner because... Well, just because. Ms. Frost has had to undergo two surgeries, had her jaw wired shut, and now wears dentures as a result of her trauma. And so now it's time for Nightshade's blood trail, which is what I call the path that I must walk all of us down in the news every month as I report upon our murdered family. Although she was murdered on October 17th, the death of Jessie Hart, a 42-year-old transgender woman who had experienced poverty and housing insecurity since her transition, was not reported until October 29th after our last broadcast. Her body was found in a wooded area near Banks, a small town west of Portland, Oregon. Since her transition, Ms. Hart had lost her construction business. Her home was separated from her two children and had become estranged from most of her family, all for the unforgiven sin of being transgender. On October 31st, yet another transgender woman of color was murdered. Transgender activist and drag performer Ricky Altmuro, age 39, was shot to death in Centralia, Washington, five times in the chest, with suspect Christopher Allen Gaudreau being arrested and charged with first-degree murder and domestic violence. On November 2nd, yet another transgender woman color of murdered, Jenny De Leon, a 25-year-old Latinx transgender woman, was found murdered outside her home in Tampa, Florida. According to her friends, Jenny was an enigmatic, bright soul with enough energy to fill any room. The group said that she had come out in transition while attending PFLAG Tampa meetings. On November 4th, yet 
another transgender woman of color was murdered. Markeisha Lawrence, age 28, was shot to death in Greenville, South Carolina. Lawrence was found dead in her home by family members, and it seems that she had been in an altercation with one or more persons, according to the coroner's office. They have declared her death a homicide with no suspects. On November 6th, yet another transgender woman of color was murdered. Danielle Johnson, age 35, was shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee, in a parking lot of the Bellevue Inn Motel at about 1 a.m. Memphis Fox affiliate repeatedly misgendered Ms. Johnson, as did the Memphis police. The suspect is an unknown male who was last seen arguing with Ms. Johnson before stealing her car. And on November 11th, yet another transgender woman of color was murdered. Angel Naria, age 36, was shot to death in her apartment in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. She was deadnamed and misgendered by the local media, and although state police have released little information on her death, it has been ruled a homicide. She was a home health care aide and a graduate of cosmetology school. That makes at least 49 transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming persons who died by violence this year, surpassing the record set last year of 44 deaths. Much more undoubtedly go unreported or misreported. This is not quite the crazy news of the month, but Fiona found a great article about a Barnes & Noble in New York's uh, C- New York City's Union Square, which has made it clear how they feel about the expressed transphobia of J.K. Rowling. What the store did was collect a group of books written by various authors, including Ursula Le Guin, uh, Alice Hoffman, and Deborah Harkness, under a sign reading, quote, the unproblematic wizardly <laughs> wizarding world, unquote. <laughs> It went viral on Twitter where a supporter of Rowling called the sign out as being, quote, slander, unquote, against Rowling. Hey, idiot, it's not slander, and it wouldn't be even if it was because written castigation is called libel, whereas spoken castigation, like Rowling herself has done demonizing the transgender community, is called slander. Look it up. Dictionary. The tweet backfired, and not just for the grammatical ignorance I called out, but because in general fewer and fewer people are willing to turn a blind eye towards a reclusive and cognitive dissonant billionaire who spews hate against certain groups of people. Sound like someone we know? All Rowling needs now is an empire of private golf courses, and I guess she can run for president, right? If she were a citizen, but other than that, I'm sure people would leap on board. Oh, I'm, I'm sure she'll find some way when you have that much money. In the Hollywood equivalent of a face masking in football, or so I've been told not knowing football, HBO Max will be airing a special retrospective of the Harry Potter series on New Year's Day to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the first Harry Potter film's release. Director Christopher Columbus, who directed the first two films, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, and other actors. Who was Rupert Grint again? He was uh, Weasley. Ron Weasley. Yeah, he's... Kind of like, nobody remembers him for some reason. They, he gets asked to appear as special guests on things, mostly just as having been a Harry Potter actor. 
Good for him. <laughs> Another actress from the eight films will gather for a journey back to Hogwarts to discuss the making of Harry Potter and the impact of the franchise. The part of not appearing in this film will be non-portrayed by J.K. Rowling, who you'd think would be sort of, I don't know, a critical part of the effort. But although she will appear in archived footage, she will not be included, nor was any reason given for her non-appearance. Her fans have already claimed it was due to the cancel culture of so-called devil-worshipping communist sex offender meth addict transgender activists ignoring the fact that if Rowling had in fact been excluded she would have been writing another 3,000 word manifesto like the Unabomber about how she is the most persecuted individual in the history of the world ever. Meanwhile Rowling for her part is claiming that her life is being threatened by activists who protested her transphobic writings, remarks, tweets, paper mache animals, and everything else by posing for a photograph in front of her house for Transgender Day of Remembrance with her address clearly visible. She called it, quote, doxing, unquote, which is somewhat of a stretch when her address is actually fairly easy to look up on Google, and further claimed that she had received so many death threats that she could, quote, paper the house with them, unquote. Gosh, rallying. Guess how many death threats I've received. The only difference is, again, I'm not a billionaire who no doubt is protected by 24-7 security on the level of Force 10 from Navarone, the Crazy 88s from Kill Bill, uh, or even custom-made working replicas of giant mecha warriors like Optimus Prime. Like, I want some of those. Not necessarily Optimus Prime. Transphobic Optimus of, Prime? No, I, I want some Mecha Warriors, but not Optimus Prime. She probably literally has enough money to pay Daniel Craig to just stand in front of her door every day with his arms crossed, looking vaguely menacing. I mean, I'm not defending a single threat against her, but is exemplary of her complete narcissistic ignorance of the entire reason behind Transgender Day of Remembrance. Transgender, intersex, and non-binary persons murdered in cold blood out of ignorance, prejudice, and fear. I mean, even Family Guy, one of the most transphobic shows on primetime, is scoring points off of your ethics rallying. When that happens, you know you've really hit the moral equivalent of rock bottom. In fact, let, let's, let's, let's hear what they had to say. I think that pretty much says it. <laughs> I'm Nightshade, a proud resident of House Mouse and Shrew, with the Trans News of the Month. And welcome back to Trans Talk, this week's edition of the 10th Voice, where apparently we're talking with the mics live, and uh, during the... Oh, I wasn't? No, oh. I, I got you back. Oh, you were waving your hands frantically at me, so... Uh, <laughs> so One of us was, I don't know. <laughs> we always do that. It's well, kind of like the too. Hi, Hi Una, how are you? Yeah, you had football references, and we were just getting into the spirit of things. Face, I think face masks can even be used in fencing, though, although I never saw it occur. Do you like, grab their face mask? Like in you football? can't really. With, with the pandemic and everything, you could face mask people that way as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, good one. Yeah, good one. And, and, and grim, very grim. <laughs> <laughs> On last month's Trans Talk, one of the things that we did, and we got a lot of fan mail about this, we discussed four different films dealing with with uh, various aspects of the transgender and intersex community. We had a transmasculine, a trans femme, a non-binary, and an intersex-themed uh, film. And um, this topic seemed contemporaneous with something that was originally going to be in the trans news, but it was a topic of uh, conversation last night. As I had an amazingly uh, intelligent series of conversations with non-drunk uh, people at the well okay mildly drunk <laughs> moderately drunk functionally drunk let's say <laughs> the best people kind of at drunk. the club um and uh 
The topic specifically is that uh, Academy Award-winning British actor Eddie Redmayne said that he regrets playing transgender pioneer Lily Elbe in the 2015 film The Danish Girl. In an interview with the UK Sunday Times, he said that he had made a mistake, that he made the film with the best of intentions, and, quote, no, I wouldn't take the role on now, unquote. The film and the decision to cast Redmayne as the first widely publicized transgender woman to have gender confirmation surgery, from which she ultimately died, was highly controversial at the time it aired. Many within the transgender community found the film to be groundbreaking and touching and a definite breath of fresh air after the highly problematic 2005 film Trans America that was notorious for its gratuitous focus on genitals and its very odd and frankly creepy scene of the lead character briefly making out with her own son. Um, yeah. That, that <laughs> yeah. just... That's fingernails and... Way worse than Stobo is in the Luke and Leia kiss. Fingernails oh, on the chalkboard. <laughs> oh, wait, I'd forgotten about that. Now it's in my head. <laughs> and many in the transgender community felt that the fact that a cisgender actor was cast was enough to destroy any merit the film had in their eyes. Still, others claimed it was generally good, but cast the lead character as living in a cross-dressing fantasy based on a single scene where Lily is overwhelmed by the fact that she can wear women's clothing, which was intended actually be a celebration of her joy at being able to have proper gender presentation. I remember when it premiered here in Kansas City at the uh, Ranch Mart Theater, and I was asked to speak briefly to the audience uh, about transgender history to introduce Lily's story. I'll never forget that as the mostly transgender and ally audience left the theater, there were fierce arguments occurring in the lobby in front of us with people yelling and cursing at each other some were openly crying insults and slurs were being used with lateral violence here there and everywhere and even some friendships were shattered forever i heard one transgender woman call another transgender woman a disgrace to all womanhood that's a direct quote because she liked the film it wasn't as bad as what happened after the 2003 premiere of kangaroo jack where the screenwriter director and producer had to be evacuated by helicopter like the fall of saigon and are still living in hiding today but uh, it was our community at its worst it was also really odd because many of those who had called Eddie Redmayne out as the great Satan in clouds of sulfur for portraying the role of Lily, Elm, Lily Elb were the same ones that praised cisgender actor Jared Leto for portraying the transgender woman Rayon in Dallas Buyers Club just two years prior. The most reasonable theory that I came up with was simply that since those two years and starting in 2012 when the first major court decision started to turn the tide and was the true tipping point for transgender rights that history has gone through a tremendous uh transition pun intended of its own such that attitudes acceptance the spirit of the times of being transgender is changing so rapidly that it's difficult to keep up and this also ties into an ongoing reluctance among many older persons in the trans community who last night I heard refusing to refer to non-binary persons by proper pronouns and I kept having to correct people again and again and again and it really grated on my nerves. I've wondered if in large part some of the lateral violence in general in the LGBTQIA plus community is just due to the speed of change because so much has radically changed in the last decade 
And so I wanted to throw it out to Rachel and Fiona, or Fiona and Rachel, whoever wants to go first, to see what you think about that. I'll go first. I think one of the things, if we could separate the film from the poison tree of having a cisgender actor play the trans woman in it, is that more and more frequently now I am hearing people use the phrase gender euphoria of getting to celebrate being themselves and getting the joy of finally being themselves and who they were meant to be. I think that scene where they finally get to dress and start to present as a woman would be recognised now, if separated from the cisgender actor aspect, as expressing gender euphoria, which at the time that the film came out was a phrase that we never ever heard. We only ever heard about gender dysphoria. We never heard about the joy of being yourself. Yeah, I think that strikes at the heart of one of the issues I have with the movie is the fact that it is a cisgendered man playing this part. It reinforces this idea that trans women in particular are just men who are dressed up. And regardless of how well he he acted that role, and he, he did an amazing job in the film, uh, no doubt, every time you see him on the red carpet or getting awards, you see a cisgendered man. And it's hard for folks who don't have much exposure to the trans community and trans people in general um, to separate those two facts that he was just playing this part. It just seems like, oh, right, he put on a, put on a dress and all of a sudden he was calling himself a woman. Um, the, the other part is, you know, it, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. It's it's great that he sort of recognizes um, that you know he wouldn't have taken that role. But the bigger point is that he is in a place as a white cis man who is very um, you know successful. He can turn down roles like that, roles that aren't offered to trans actors and actresses out there. Um, I think that has to be addressed too. There is not an equal playing field. Um, for you know, trans actors in, in the entertainment industry. Let me play devil's advocate and ask you both a question. Given that the actual green lighting of the film, I think, happened in uh, late 2013 and the shooting and production was in 2014, so we're talking about the film's actually, although it was released in 2015, its genesis, so to speak, was even further back along the trans tipping point scale, would the film have been made at all if it had a transgender actress? I suspect not, given the way that studios tend to invest and how they want to have names attached to them so people are more likely to go. At the very least, it would have had to have had a hugely well-known co-star to have acted as a draw, and then they would have overshadowed anything that the transgender actress did. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think part of how a film like this gets made in the first place is that there's a big name attached to it because of the subject matter that, you know, a lot of cis folks aren't going to go and seek out a movie like this without a big name. So I don't. I don't think it would have been made, but of course, who knows? And we, and you know, I, I wasn't privy to the casting of this film. Obviously, who you know, maybe there were trans folks who tried out for it. I doubt it, and I've certainly never heard of that for in this movie. But yeah, it, I I struggle with it because I feel like I feel like the film was an unfortunate net positive. Is how I describe it. <laughs> it's a good way to is put it. Is that it was a net positive 
but problematic at the same time in that um, you know and it it there there are some tropes in trans films as we as we've seen like the putting on of the makeup the trend the transformation process it emphasizes oh this is really a guy who's now changing the, the dress part the makeup the learning how to act stereotypical cisgender female and there was some of that in the film too but it was light i i don't know what the answer is i've always thought of those scenes as being more like cinderella when the fairy godmother comes in and she finally gets to be herself and who she's supposed to be instead of being oppressed by the stepsisters and gets her true role in life so i think of it more like that um not that any trans person's life is exactly a fairy tale, although historically they've often had dark undertones. Yeah, it's true. I've seen so many documentaries and, and things on the news and stuff. And any time it's a trans woman, there's always a shot of her putting makeup on or getting dressed. Like, that is in some way inherently tied to being trans, that you must put this thing on as opposed to just existing. And I think it reinforces that stereotype. Maybe it's because... These days, in most places that we're familiar with, women are allowed to wear trousers and don't have to wear makeup and can have short hair. So there is less of a visible difference for the transition for, and less of a bar between what trans men are allowed to wear pre-transition and afterwards. And trans women have not been able to wear skirts and dresses and soft clothes without getting mocked and torn apart as we see every month in the news uh, about our fallen siblings. One of the things I liked about the uh, series that I think it came out in 2014 called Those Girls that was shot locally here in Kansas City that involved uh, that starred six friends of ours actually and we had, I think, five of the six on a trans talk show way back about seven years ago, is that they avoided all those scenes, and they're dressed in blue jeans, sweatshirts, you know, uh, sneakers, they're just dressed like everyday average gals really dress. There was, they avoided that trope in there. Yeah, it's one of the benefits of doing reality or quasi-reality TV, but even there, an awful lot of those type of shows would have focused on that and included it so it was really good that they avoided that yeah what do you what do you think about the argument folks make um that you know an actor should be able to portray anything they're actors that's their job i think the argument falls apart when you're dealing with an oppressed minority and when you're dealing with the continued lack of opportunity like uh, the joke i i make it as a, a deliberate over-the-top joke to make people think it's like having carrot top play nelson mandela i mean it just doesn't some things just should not exist <laughs> or david carradine playing an asian role yes well that that of course is well if you're going back to the 70s then yeah yeah uh, so many um plays and films and programs there's so little representation for any actors of color and i there were interviews with people that were in george takei's musical allegiance about how wonderful it was to actually get to act with a mostly asian cast and not be the token asian actor present mm-hmm. and yeah. it's that way for so many of the minorities in the entertainment industry 
So I think that we're a little bit mixed on it. And uh, of course, if there wasn't an easy answer, then we wouldn't have a topic to talk about. <laughs> I, another thing that happened last night, uh, segueing into topic two, is I ran into a person who I last saw in 2019 late, last communicated with in 2020 when I set them up on a blind date. Uh, there's a whole story behind that that I can't talk about on the radio. <laughs> who I witnessed over uh, several years go through a journey of finding their gender identity. And we had some time to talk last night. And uh, when I first met them, they presented male. And they described themselves as a cisgender gay man who felt comfortable cross-dressing, but they never came out dressed. They always came out presenting male. And uh, so they looked like basically a young femme black man. Flashback to last night, when a beautiful and really polished in every way black woman comes up to me and says, Una, it's so good to see you again. Can I give you a hug? And after saying, sure, excuse me, who is it I'm hugging now? I, I found out it was my old friend, and I did not even recognize them. She now not only presents female nearly everywhere in public, but even went home to her very traditional family for Thanksgiving dinner showing up on Femme, which led to a minor bit of family drama, but turned out positive. As we talked for about two hours. She had many questions. I used the pronouns she, her, with her permission, but one of the questions was what really was her gender identity because she didn't know herself. She still sometimes felt like she was a cross-dressing gay man, but also was very strongly femme and attracted to women, which also caused confusion. And I explained to her the concept of lesbianism. <laughs> Just, uh, but, she's had, but she's also had relationships with men. So I think you need to explain the concept of bi or pan yeah, I, I, or omnisexual. <laughs> That she ended strongly that she came to me because she hoped after telling me a bit of her story I could help her out. I think her case exemplifies a few critical points. And the first point is that who we are evolves. I know a lot of women that are living life as everyday average women right now, shopping, working, living their life, going about their business, who started out as drag queens. I mean, self-professed drag queens cross-dressers, cosplayers, or just gay men or women. And this is especially true of older people. By older, I mean older than about age 35 in our community, but holds true for some youth as well. So I told her, essentially, labels are useful sometimes, but ultimately every label is inaccurate because every person is unique. And to me, I think it's no surprise that somebody's gender should evolve over time, and that doesn't delegitimize delegitimize it in what's the correct word it it's fine make it, it doesn't, make it it not doesn't take away from the legitimacy yeah. of that gender identity yes, that everybody has to find our way and plus we aren't isolated we aren't lab experiments with perfect controls we live in a world where our family society random people we see on the street are putting tremendous pressures on us to conform conform into the cisgender heterosexual narrative and so it is natural that some of us would go back and forth so again i throw it out to the two of you what really are we to make of this because it seems like there's almost an acid test of if you aren't sure right from the start some people say that you can't really be trans 
which I mean that's just ridiculous but people are telling themselves that too yeah I know that's that's something I got caught up in actually when I started to come to terms with my gender identity I unlike some trans folks and some friends I have who knew from a very young age they were positive that they were girls and they were female and I never felt that way as a kid I had all sorts of desires to be a girl and whatnot, but I thought because I didn't know for sure I couldn't possibly be a trans woman. There was no way. I thought it was a fetish. I thought it was some kind of weird short-circuiting of my brain. Um, and come to find out, you know, there is no one way to be trans. There are as many ways to be trans as there are people. So that's an important point, that there, there isn't one way to do it, and there is no invalid way to do it either. And we've explored all your fetishes, and that is definitely is not one of them. So <laughs> That's true. It's not on the list. Yes. Thankfully, we've explored them off air, so we don't have outrageous fines from the SEC yes. waiting for us. Right. Don't make me push this button. <laughs> Fiona, you are an expert at working with families of that support families, friends, allies, significant others, support trans people and non-binary persons of all age groups for 10 years almost. You know, what, what is your take on this? It's, it's a hard topic because I, a lot of the time people say that their kids have come out to them in stages. They first come out as gay or as bi and everyone's been a little bit shocked but then they've dealt with it and then maybe six months later or a year later after they've seen that the family coped with the more culturally normal and accepted coming out of having a different sexual identity, they've then come out and said actually my gender is opposite to how you thought it was and I'm not actually a lesbian I'm straight because I still like women and then they've had to handle the second coming out and the second coming out yes, <laughs> the, second coming out, yes. yes the second coming out and it's always been still been a shock and a grieving process for the family and they they go through almost exactly the same emotions each time. Part of it always seems to be tied up with the fact that they'd expected a certain type of wedding and grandchildren and they're grieving the loss of that imagined future. But both times, a large amount of the grieving and the stress seems to be about the safety of their child and that they wanted the happiest possible life for that child. But also, they say, what if they change their mind? What if we change their name and their gender pronouns and we fight with the school for it and they change their mind? And I always say, don't paint them into a box. People's gender identity and their understanding of themselves can can mature and change. They may decide that they're non-binary. And if you fight them and make them dig their heels in, you're going to end up with this... Uh, oppositional defiant thing like I have with bedtime about they will make themselves miserable because they'll be determined to stick to that gender identity because you've made them fight and if they later understand that they're actually non-binary or gender fluid if you've made them fight you over it so hard they won't even be able to do that or you'll lose them when they tell you their true gender identity as they realize it no that's that's very true especially you know if you consider that gender is a spectrum um, it is. It follows that if 
you know, that you can evolve on that spectrum as you discover yourself. I mean, so much of coming out and transitioning as a trans person is literally coming to terms with who you really are and this this person that you have subjugated and pushed down and denied and hated sometimes. Um, it's natural for you to sort of discover these things as you go along and as you get older and realize things about yourself that you never dared to before. So I think it's it's a perfectly natural and, and sort of expected thing to be able to evolve. I also evolved in one way that it took me a long time to even understand that I evolved and that and and that realization I think hit me just over the last two years, but there was no one epiphany day or something that I feel now that perhaps I chose that I was a woman because that was the thing that most fit. But I realized as I was talking with people that I've more felt like a strongly feminine creature, but not necessarily human because of my genetics. And after that first, that first fateful doctor's appointment where the doctor laughed and said, in, scientifically incorrectly, but it was a joke, it said, you're not even the same species as the rest of us. That one sentence still resonates almost 30 years later in my mind and makes me feel like I'm a very strongly feminine being but I'm separated from humanity and will never be part of humanity, no matter what. And so I think that's an example of a sort of a different evolution, being intersex trans. So it's, I don't know, it's, there's really a lot to think about with this. Yeah, and I, I think too, when you bring up cross-dressing, I think you know the Venn diagram between trans people and cross-dressers definitely intersects. There's an intersection there. But there's also... Uh, you know, the part that don't cross each other. There are folks who, um, you know, are just cross-dressers. They have no intention of living their lives in a different gender than they present day to day. And, you know, that's okay. But it's also okay for trans folks to, you know, proclaim themselves as cross-dressers for years and years and years, and then, you know, realize that that was just a coping mechanism. You know, not that I speak from experience or anything, but... But we have friends that originally came out as cross-dressers and gradually discovered that that wasn't doing it for them and they, there was a lot more beyond that. Yep. And frequently partners cope with the cross-dressing and then fall apart when they discover it's full-time. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. That's very true. Do you want to... I think you had the final topic, Fiona, that you came up with. and Or was that Rachel? No, it was Fiona. Me. Oh, yeah. And actually, I can kind of segue into it because the friend that we mentioned before, they did finally transition and they got to be themselves. But an awful lot of the time, they seem to be playing a role. They, they're an older lady and they seem to be trying to narrow themselves down and shoehorn themselves into the role of a woman perhaps as you'd see in 1950s TV, where they're not supposed to be bright, they're always supposed to be welcoming to guests, they're not supposed to know anything about science or technology, and they'll do things like talking about the fact that, say, Google Fiber came around and fixed the problem with the network, and now they had this bandwidth. And then they would do a little teehee and apologize for knowing about technology and being so oh, unfeminine. Yes. Wow. I know her very well, we both do. And... and 
A is a female identified person who had to fight all my life to be able to be present in spaces like that. Um, I find that particularly irritating. Oh and yes, you do. You, you, <laughs> yes, you would rant about it in the car after we. <laughs> yes, but I also didn't really feel I could tackle it directly with her. Um, so, kind of hope she's not listening today. Um, no, she never listens. So, uh, anyway, um, because I I didn't want to step on her gender and her gender expression, but it also really annoyed me. But I've also seen in support groups and within the trans community itself people gender policing people especially newly out trans people and i know that in the support groups it's usually with the best of intentions that they're trying to tell people that if you don't want to be misgendered then if you're a trans guy you need to cut your hair short and you need to wear these styles of clothes and that misgendering is horribly painful and this is the best way to avoid it and it's also safer because you're more likely to pass and not risk getting attacked for who you are but you're finally getting to be yourself and people are telling you you've got to cut your hair like this or you've got to have these interests or you've got to stop wearing makeup or start wearing makeup and we're going to dive straight into the next station break soon but I'd like people to think about it uh, over that break about how horrible it is that you finally get to be you and even your own community is telling you who that you should be instead of letting you discover it for yourself. Oh, I have a, I have a comment right when we get back from the station break. Uh, at least an average of one or two times a night there will be a person, maybe just once a night when I'm out uh, in the community, there will be a person who will comment, uh, they will gender police me. I always wear skirts I always wear long skirt, maxi skirts, mini skirts, usually typically calf length skirts, you know, somewhat conservative and so forth. But I wear skirts. I don't wear trousers. The number of times I've worn trousers are probably less than 10, except where I've had to do it for work because you can't inspect a power plant wearing a skirt, except at the Cinesh plant in Portugal where they let me walk around the plant in a tartan skirt and said that that was perfectly normal. And I've got photographic proof of it, which is really awesome. But, it must uh, be the tartan, like the uh, Scotsman being the only red shirt in the original series of Star Trek to survive. I wasn't aware of a Scottish connection with Portugal, but... Um, Esoteric one. <laughs> the, um, the thing that they, they tell me is like, how come you don't wear trousers? How, you know, how come you won't wear jeans? You should wear some tight jeans. You should do this. You should do that with jeans. It's always jeans, jeans, jeans. Like, oh, well, you know, one comment last night was, well, you know, Una won't wear anything except skirts. I'm like, and? It's my choice. And then people, I've had people try to psychoanalyze me. So you're so uncertain of your gender identity that you feel like you have to wear a skirt to try to prove it to yourself. And I say, no. It's because I have this awesome rack, for lack of a better word, and I have small hips. And if I wear trousers, I, wear to I look top-heavy. And if I wear a skirt, I don't. My passing ability is greater by an order of magnitude when I wear a skirt or a dress because it can flare my hips. And in my profession, which is a somewhat conservative profession, passing privilege means employment. 
and that's what it and so that's what I'm comfortable with and that's what I'm used to but why will people come out this last night someone a former friend just flops down next to me at the bar says how are you doing I say okay and before I can even say words like any other words like so I see you're still wearing skirts all the time so what a shame and, um, and it's insane because if you had been born a cis woman and you always wanted to wear skirts, people wouldn't say, oh, well, you're internalizing and you shouldn't do this and you have to wear jeans. They would let you be for the most part. And there's so many of the superficial women's magazines that focus on how people can best dress for their body shape and their body type that would be telling you to wear exactly what you're choosing to wear for you to be have the best impact in society based on your body type. And it's almost like they're saying you can't transition successfully unless you can feel confident wearing all types of clothing possible and I, I'm thinking if only you could transition into, into someone with something interesting to say <laughs> <laughs> that's much harder to do on some Rachel level. What, what what is your take Rachel I am um, yeah I feel that actually a, a lot because I I went from someone who wore black t-shirts and blue jeans every single day for 20 years <clears throat> it was I would literally go to my go to my drawer and pull out the next black t-shirt throw it on and walk out the door and I never thought about it and since transitioning I wear what I want to and what makes me feel good and confident and of course I've paid attention to those exact women's magazines to try to dress my particular body type but for me, it's an expression of who I am and my gender identity, and I don't pay attention to a lot of that gender policing stuff. I mean, there's even a backlash of folks who, um, you know, my, my presentation is very feminine. I wear a lot of dresses, a lot, a lot of flowers. Yes. Um, you know, curly purple. hair and stuff. Yes, exactly. You're out for me most days. Well, my, my partner says I girl much harder than she does, and I've succeeded her that way, But which is fine. There's no one way to girl. But. Everyone girls much harder than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the fact that I do that, um, as a trans woman, folks have, have told me, you know, I am buying into the stereotype that women have to do this thing. They have to wear dresses. They have to be very feminine in their presentations. And for me, that is just simply not true. That never sort of dawned on me. It, it literally was a light bulb that went off in my head that I was like, oh my God, I can wear these things that I've always wanted to. And I can actually dress in colors. And um, so for me, it was really, it's about self-expression. <laughs> you saying about colors? Mm -hmm. Growing up in the UK and having to buy clothes from the female side of the aisle, I actually envied colours because I would look at the men's department in Marks and Spencers and the shirts they would have there would be these deep, gorgeous, deep jewel tone reds and greens and really deep, strong blues. And if you went to the women's department, there would be whites and creams and maybe palest, palest, barely a hint of a blush pink and maybe powder blue. I mean, that might be too much of a strong blue colour for a woman to be allowed to wear. And so you saying about, oh my gosh, I can wear colours. I had the same experience but from the opposite side of the divide until I started by saying... I don't care. I'm going to buy clothes from the men's department because those are the clothes I want to wear and that I will look good in. Yeah. Uh, 
just uh, and the other thing is the women's ones were silly frou-frou styles that were going, intended to only last a season and they cost a fortune and the men's styles weren't going to change and you could wear them year after year and it would be the same style and they were cheaper and better made and they were actually long enough to cover your back so you didn't freeze to death <laughs> if you bent over. So, of course, I went to the men's department. I crossed the dark side. <laughs> I, in analyzing my life, which I've been doing a lot of uh, over the last few months, I realized that it was my augmentation surgery corresponded with my willingness to go out in public without makeup on. Like right now, I'm not wearing any makeup. Anything you see is left over from last night because I didn't clean it off properly, which happens. But um, it had, and that ties back into passing. Once I had looked the shape much more that people expected, I mean, especially because I tend to emphasize it, their eyes narrow in on one thing and that's set it in their mind. Like trans men, as soon as the beard comes in, they generally don't get misgendered that much. I mean, some still do, but usually the beard is a full telltale sign of this is a dude. And when I got the augmentation, it was this is a woman, doesn't matter that she's not wearing makeup. And so it really brought it back to its survival is what I'm shooting for. Yeah, I mean, and it, it is important to understand that, you know, passing isn't something that is required. There are, there is no, you know, one look that is trans, for instance. And I know that um, I just had an interesting conversation with a non-binary friend of mine and talking about how, you know, when you think of non-binary folks, a lot of people conjure up images of androgyny and, you know, a little bit of, you know, each sort of gender expression. But in fact, there is no one expression that is non-binary. There is certain no one expression for um, the trans look either. And that's really important to understand. Yes. And there's so many labels and subdivisions within the non-binary category that it's it's amazing. You can go out and see new identities have been created because there are people that need those labels. And then there's people that don't want labels at all. And I actually rather like the label of queer going back to our earlier topic about how things change because if you identify as queer if you your gender identity changes as you learn more about yourself or your sexuality changes and expands or totally shifts you can still be queer you don't have to keep finding a new label and keep coming out to people and changing you queer is still you and you are still queer and it's a label that you don't have to keep re-explaining yourself to people with but if you want a label there are so many labels out there that you can find and identify that can fit you yeah it should be noted though that some people still you know take offense to that word as well because it was used as a derogatory term for a long time but to a lot of folks it does fit and i yeah i agree with that Well, I think we're kind of petering out on that topic, so it might be time for me to move to the community calendar. That's a great idea. If you wish. (laughs) As you wish. (laughs) I always think of uh, the Princess Bride when I hear that phrase. Yes, me too. (laughs) So, no Princess Bride moments here. We're going to dive straight into the Kansas City Center for Inclusion, which has something going on at this very, very moment. And Rachel is snapping her fingers in excitement because she can't help it when I mention the center. 
but they have Queer and Bazaar, where you can go shop for art and handmade items by local LGBTQIA artists. And that's today, 1.30pm to 4.30pm at their centre above Woody's. And they're also today having a charity ham bingo at Mary's at 4pm. That's a fundraiser. And they're having their special Friendsgiving potluck event tomorrow, the 28th. And a lot of people probably expected that to be on Thursday, but they were closed on Thursday and they're having it tomorrow. So you can join them at 3pm at the centre. And they've also started a crafting group, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. Every first Monday of the month at 6pm, it's called Needle in a Gay Stack, which is an awesome name. (laughs) And the next one is December 6th. And in addition to their usual programs, they've also got several youth-oriented programs. And so the KCCI Queer Youth Meetup is the first and third Tuesdays of each month at 5pm. And the next one will be on December 7th. So you can find out more about this and more on their Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash inclusive KC. And every month I lead the Kansas City Sofa Group for Significant Others, Friends, Family and Allies of Transgender and Non-Binary Persons, which Uno alluded to earlier in the show. And we're still having virtual meetings on Zoom. And in December, they'll be at 6.30pm on the 1st and the 15th of December. And for more information, you can visit transcity.org forward slash S-O-F-F-A or www.facebook.com forward slash S-O-F-F-A dot K-C. And for college students, the UMKC LGBTQIA programs and services staff is on campus and the Rainbow Lounge is open. And they've got a Discord server for everyone to stay in touch. And they're organising events there, including for their regular discussion groups. And you do not have to be a student to join the Discord server. But many of the events are specifically aimed at students. But you can find out more information, including the link for that Discord server, on their Facebook page at www.facebook.com, UMKC LGBTQIA. And every third Thursday, the Equal Trans Support Group meets at 5pm. And they're a support group for all ages, for trans and non-binary persons and allies. And they're having in-person meetings again, either outside or at the previously mentioned Kansas City Centre for Inclusion, all depending on the weather. So join their Facebook group to get more details if you're interested at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Equal Trans Support. And Rachel, do I have time to keep going or should I? You sure do. Awesome. So there's a trans women's support group that normally meets at the Transgender Institute and they are still available online. And those are every Tuesday at 6pm and they'll be hosted via Zoom and Discord. And please reach out to kj.redman at outlook.com for the login information or for any additional questions about that group. And there is an M2F support group at the Kansas City Centre for Inclusion on the first and third Tuesday of the month at 6pm. There are other options as well during coronavirus and shutdown and there is an FTM support group elsewhere both for adults and for youth and if you're interested and want to find out options please text or call Gus at 816-785-8686 and get updates on options for meeting and connection during the virus lockdowns and less person face-to-face meetings and 
For the wider community, there is the Kansas City PFLAG chapter, which is parents, families, friends and allies of LGBT people. They've got a Facebook page where you can get more details on their current activities, and that's at www.facebook.com, PFLAG KC. And uh, we are starting to run out of time, so there are a couple of uh, youth groups that I've got information for, and that and more will be on the 10th Voice Facebook page at 2 p.m., and if you've got anything you think should be added, please message us on the Tenth Voice Facebook page or reach out to us through the station. But thank you all so much for tuning in to Trans Talk, this week's edition of the Tenth Voice. We'd like to give special thanks to the awesome Rachel KD for running the soundboard, my wife for being awesome and leading the discussion and bringing in uh, the Nightshade News Rant. And, and to you, of course, for the community calendar work and all the other work that you do that doesn't get appreciated.